This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. I became content to own less and I actually wanted to own less. I kind of removed myself from always wanting bigger house and nicer cars and That's when I started wondering, like, what is my infatuation with money? Like, if I don't need a lot of money to buy a lot of stuff, then what is the role that money is going to play in my life? This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're bringing you another Best of MKM episode. This week, we're featuring an interview we had with author and minimalist leader Joshua Becker in 2022. We talked about overcoming the distraction of money. In this really, really great interview that I really, really enjoyed. Joshua shares the common distractions we all face, the importance of contentment, and how to focus on the things that matter outside of wealth. Without further delay, let's jump into this Best of MKM episode from 2022 with Joshua Becker. Yes, money can help us do a lot of important things. It can allow us to have our most basic needs met, and it can allow us to buy more time freedom to enjoy more life today. But can we become too distracted by money? Can the pursuit of more money and more wealth distract us from a life of meaning today? To help us explore this topic further, I've invited Joshua Becker on the podcast today. Joshua and his young family were introduced to minimalism 12 years ago during a short conversation with their neighbor, and he became a pioneer of the modern minimalist movement with his blog, Becoming Minimalist, which reaches over 1 million readers every month. He is also the USA Today bestselling author of five books, including his latest, which is called Things That Matter. When Joshua isn't helping people find more meaning in their lives, he enjoys spending time with his wife and two teenage children. Welcome to the show, Joshua. Oh, good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. I've enjoyed your book. I'm excited to talk more about it today. But this conversation around the distraction of money definitely piqued my interest, given that this is a family finance show. So why do you believe money can be a distraction for people? It's very interesting, even hearing you go through the intro and talking about how how when we have more money, we can buy more things. We can even buy more time. Harvard did a, a fascinating study where they were trying to figure out, does money buy happiness? And like trying to finally have the definitive voice on that because you find all these different studies where it has no impact. It has an impact up to 20,000, impact up to 75,000. Some studies say that there's no limit to the amount of impact that you can have. And what they concluded at the end, they uh, surveyed 100,000 adults. And what they concluded at the end is the, the greatest deciding factor of if money contributes to happiness or not is what we sacrifice in pursuit of money. Because a lot of people get into this mindset that says, well, I'm just going to put in the extra hours now 
so I can enjoy more time later. I'm going to do the side hustle now. I'm going to invest. I'm going to give up things now so I have the money so I can finally go do all the things that I want to do. When that is the thinking, number one, most people never get to that point where they think that they have enough money to go do all the things that they want to do. But that was the the biggest contributing factor to if money equals happiness or not. If we give up things that are more important to us in constant pursuit of more money, that this is when it doesn't result in more happiness than if we had just pursued the things that were more meaningful at the very beginning. I think that's a really good point. I've definitely found myself in the past thinking, okay, well, if I work harder now and build more wealth now, I'll be able to be a more present father later on, and that'll help me be a better dad. And with that mindset, it just sort of continues to delay and delay. Have you heard that sentiment? Yes, because because we never get there. 90% of Americans say that they have financial related stress was the newest stat that I could find from CNBC. 87% of millionaires would say that they're not wealthy. There was a great Boston College study of the ultra wealthy and average net worth of $78 million. And the average response was that they still needed 25% more to feel content and to feel secure. And so the problem that I've discovered, or what I think the problem is, is because it's certainly not 90% of us struggle with not having enough money. Uh, There are certainly people in the world who don't have enough money, but it's not 90% of Americans. We're one of the wealthiest nations in the history of the world. So why, why are we so stressed about money? And it's because there is no numerical value to when we feel secure with money or when we feel happy with money. We think if I just was making that much money or if I had that much saved, I would feel happy, I would feel secure, I would finally have the time to go spend with family or invest in the things that matter. But in reality, we get to that next level. You can probably attest to this. I know I can attest to this in my whole life, to my life. We get to that next income level, we get to that next amount of net worth, and we don't feel like we have the margin to go spend time with family. We don't feel like we're as happy as we could be if we had more money. And so rather than questioning, hey, is money actually the place where I'm going to find happiness and security? We just change the number of how much we need. And, oh, I just needed to make that much or I need to have that much saved. The race never ends. And I think that's why 90% of us feel stressed. We keep looking for money to provide something it will never provide. I feel How's that, that so much. How's that for a heavy start? <laughs> Let's just jump right in, huh? I love heavy starts. and It presents the problem for us to talk about and Maybe we can talk about a solution then. Well, let's talk about your history with this because I know you've, you've had this mindset for 12 years now. You said 12 years ago you discovered minimalism. Was there a time before that where maybe you were kind of racing to get the next dollar amount, the next net worth thing that didn't feel that contentment? You know, I, yeah, that's an interesting question. Yes and no. Yes, to the extent that I would say, I mean, I I think I still struggle even today. Like, let's not, I I hope I'm not putting out the aura that I've somehow solved this in my life and that I'm self-righteous looking down on on everyone else, (laughs) prideful, arrogant. Like, as I write in the book, like, 
I mean, these are distractions that we not just recognize, but we have to overcome every single day going forward just because we live in a world and a culture that pursues all these things that even in ourselves, I think there's some internal motivations there. And so I was not like in the typical rat race, I guess, as a, as a young adult, I, I was a pastor for 15 years. And so I, I certainly didn't choose that career because of the, the high paychecks. Like I, I chose a career where I thought I could have meaning and I, I thought I would have an influence in, in people's lives and could help people. And so I never chose a career based on money. That being said, yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I, I can, as much as I was back then, is even struggle today with, hey, what else could I do to make more money? You know, always constantly wanting more and more. I think that that's pretty common for, for all of us. I think that's, as you said, very common for a lot of people. I know that you have pursued, and this is uh, part of your mission, really, is this minimalist movement. Is there, I guess, a financial side of things? Yeah, maybe I'll even I'll even step back to that because minimalism certainly brought this conversation, I think, to mind or started helping me think about it. Was introduced to minimalism, yeah, over a decade ago by by my neighbor and. I was certainly in the the pretty typical suburban lifestyle of buying things I didn't need. I, I did have a couple pay increases over the first 10 years of my marriage and just bought a bigger house when we moved to a new city and like just did, I think, what most people live their life, buying stuff they don't need. And so it was my neighbor who introduced me to minimalism. It was a Saturday morning. I was cleaning up my garage and rather than playing with my five-year-old son while he was alone in the backyard and I'm like, man, how am I wasting my life just taking care of stuff and buying stuff and always wanting more stuff rather than investing in the things that, that actually matter to me? And so as we purposefully began owning less stuff, we got rid of about 60, 70% of our, of our things. The less I owned and the more I discovered owning less frees up money and time and energy and focus for the things that actually matter in life. I, I became content to own less and I actually wanted to own less. I, I kind of removed myself from always wanting bigger house and nicer cars and, and all those things. And that's when I started wondering like, hey, like what is my infatuation with money? Like if, if I'm not, if I don't need a lot of money, to buy a lot of stuff, then what is the role that money is going to play in my life? And so that's when I, when I started, I think, diving into my own motivations a little bit and started questioning some of these statistics and stats. And man, how many commercials on television are just all about having more money or getting more money, saving for retirement? I'm like, man, so much of our conversation is about just getting more money all the time. When is enough enough? So that was certainly what sparked that conversation. A big part of what my takeaway was there is that a lot of these things or a lot of these goals or these money goals can become distractions. They can fill up our brain with other things that we are thinking about that we need to do and not move us towards that meaning that I believe you are hoping that we're moving towards. So talk to us a little bit about when we clear this space, when we clear this energy in our brain, how we can move towards things that matter. When we start clearing that space of 
pursuing possessions or pursuing money, pursuing fame, like pursuing all those things that we were told will make us happy. What's left, you know? And when I first started writing about minimalism, and I, I still do, I'll say, hey, minimalism is essentially about owning fewer things so you can pursue your greatest passions in life. Because no one's greatest desire in life is just to own a house full of clutter. Like, I, I don't even think if you sit across the table from somebody and, and ask them, hey, what is your greatest goal in life? Nobody says, I just want to have as much money as I possibly can. Like, we all talk about love. We talk about relationships. We talk about making a difference in the world. We talk about solving problems in the world. Like this is, this is what our, our greatest passions are. And so when I introduce people to minimalism, I'll, I'll just say, hey, like you can free up your resources to pursue whatever you most value in life. However you want to define that, owning less will allow you to do more of it. I believe that to be true. That is the best way to approach that conversation and to make the case for owning less. I stop short oftentimes, well, I, at least I did before this book a little bit, you know, stop short of, yes, you can pursue anything you want with your newfound freedom, but all the studies will tell you that when you live a life that helps others, when you live a life that serves others, when you live a generous life, when you live a life that works to solve a problem that you're passionate about solving, that every study shows that at the end of your life, those who have chosen to live a life for the sake of others, self-report, more meaning, more fulfillment, more happiness with the way that they live their lives. And so, when we remove the pursuit of money, when we remove the pursuit of possessions, how, what do we find next? I, I think you can go find whatever you want. You can go lay on a beach for the rest of your life if you want. But I think that if you choose to live your life solving a problem that you see in the world, you will always, be, you will always reach the end with fewer regrets and more fulfillment. Some people hear me say that and they think, well, we're not all going to have a blog that reaches a million people. We're not all going to start a nonprofit. And that's, that's not what I'm saying. Like, you know, sometimes the, the greatest contribution that you can bring to the world is the children that you, that you raise. And my wife has stayed at home with our two children ever since my son was born. And so like, she's done as much to impact the world as, as I have. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. 
If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. As I was going through the book, I had a lot of those moments. I'm like, okay, well, what's the nonprofit I'm going to start? And then I just thought about my stage in life with young kids. I'm like, I think a major part of my meaning right now is to be that present dad that can help my kids have a great life because <laughs> it's easy to make children, but it's very it's very hard to raise them and make sure that they have a good life. And yeah, I had a lot of introspective moments there. One part of the book that was very interesting to me was this story of Daniel Suelo, I think his name is. I thought maybe you could tell us a little bit about Daniel and his philosophy of life, just to give us an example of, I guess, removing all I forget the details of where I first read his story. Well, I know where I read his story. I was in an airport in Charlotte, and for some reason, an article popped up about Daniel Suelo, the the man who quit money. And his story, he lives up in Utah, and his whole story is that he literally, he quit money. In a phone booth, I think he put all of his money, and he walked away, and he, he went out, and his goal was to live with having no money. And so he did some foraging and some dumpster diving and like grew some food. I don't, I forget all the details about where he ate, but basically he chose to live with no money, but there was an email address for him. And so like, just trying to map out, like, how does, like, how does this work? You know? So I sent an email, I'd been writing about minimalism and owning less. And here's this guy and he decided to live with no money whatsoever. And I'm like, I gotta, like, I gotta talk to him. And so I email him and he emails me back and lo and behold, he visits a public library once a week or so. And, you know, is able to use the library, use the computer and access his email. And so I'm like, man, I just want to interview you, you know, for the, for my blog. And so he shared a little bit about his story and some of his views about money and why he was doing what he was doing part environmental in nature, part spiritual in nature, part just trying to 
challenge societal norms and expectations of what we need to to live a happy life and that's his story he uh he lives lives without money and i i you know a combination of i think he lives out in in a cave lives out in in the wilderness and also has some friends that let him stay i suppose during the the winter or whatever it might be but yeah it's a fascinating story and i i told him when i when i interviewed him i'm like most people aren't going to go do what you're doing, but can you like just share what you've learned in a way that can help a pretty typical person who's who's not going to leave all their money in a phone booth and go live in the caves? So, and did he have a takeaway that really resonated with you? I walked away even a little more convinced that we don't need as much money as as we think we need. It probably helps solidify some of this assumption of how much do we need to feel secure and how much money do we need to to live a happy, meaningful life. He made a great comment one time. He said, money only exists because two people believe it does. Otherwise, it's just a sheet of paper. And the only value is the fact that you value this sheet of paper. I don't know if it was economically true all the way, although it probably was the way we do the way we do money nowadays. It's it's only there because you want it and you'll trade whatever you have so you can get more of it. And so, uh, yeah, certainly some some helpful principles and ideas there. I like the example because I don't know, maybe if it's just me, I like to look at the extremes and then try to find this sort of magic middle for myself. Although I appreciate what Daniel is doing, that's a bit extreme for somebody like myself with a wife and two kids and a home and responsibilities that I need to attend to. But then I also see the opposite extreme of maybe the father that's working 100 hour weeks and doesn't see his family at all and prides himself on the nice car and more, more, more. So I guess as we're, as we're looking at it, Daniel Swalo and the 100-hour workweek man, how do we find that magic middle? Or how would you find that magic middle, Joshua? I don't think there are easy answers to it. I, I think that this brings in a lot of other conversations and a lot, of, a lot of different factors. There's a whole chapter in the book about work and viewing work correctly. And I hope no one's heard me say this. Like, I'm not saying we all stop working and just be content with with what we have because i think that that work when we view work correctly work is work is love like work i do what i'm good at you do what you're good at you do this podcast that helps people figure out their money and teaches these principles so that they can go do what they're good at and and have what they need at home and so so i'm not saying that we we all stop working i'm i'm saying that we we view work differently and I don't turn down a pay raise if someone gives it to me. But I think that when we, when we serve other people is when, when we serve other people well is when we get compensated for it. So all that to say, I, you know, a lot of different factors. I, I think probably I'll give two first steps. When I transitioned into writing full-time, my wife and I sat down and we listed out every fixed expense that we had. What was the mortgage payment? What was health insurance going to be? What was the food that we needed for the family of four? What are utilities? Like just this is how much we spend every single month. If we cut out all the frivolous things, this is how much money we need to get by. This was 10 years ago and it was $4,000 a month. And it became a little bit of a, a magic number for us where, okay, if we make 48,000 a year, that is enough for us to get by. It doesn't mean we get to go on 
super nice vacations. I don't even know if it means we get to keep cable, but we, we can get by on this amount of money. And I think it was a really helpful process just to, to say, okay, I don't have to strive to make more money than this if this is all that I need to get by. So that's the first thing that I would encourage people to do. And then the, the second thing is to, to give some money away and to do it and to do it consistently. The, honestly, I, I think the greatest benefit of generosity to our lives is the realization that we already have enough. And so I, I would encourage anybody, uh, most, I don't know how many of your listeners are probably giving to charity, probably a, a good portion already. But if you don't give anything, give away $5 a week, like just find a charity, give away $5 a week. You'll find at the end of every week that you still have food, you still have shelter, you still have clothing. Like you had, you had $5 extra every single week that you could give away and you could still provide for your family. And I up it to 10, or if you're giving away some money, give away five extra dollars, whatever it might be. Because I think when you start doing that consistently, you start realizing, hey, not only do I have enough coming in to survive, I have enough coming in that I, I can actually give some away. And then, of course, you can fall into the trap of, well, let's go make more money so I can give away more, which never works out that way. But, you know, hopefully the, the learning is, you know what, why do I have to fight for a job raise? Why do I have to take on a side hustle? Why do I have to sacrifice more hours a week away from my family when in actuality, I have enough that I can even give some away. I love that. And you talked a bit about finding work that calls to your heart, that serves, that gives back. Now, somebody's listening right now and they're saying, I might not be doing that type of work that makes me feel like I'm serving or giving back to others, but I want to in the future. What's a step that they could take, whether it's today or, or over the next years, to move towards work that maybe feels more meaningful and, and of service. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you for asking me and letting me, letting me say this again. I think people hear me saying something. I'm not. The first step is to, is to rethink the work that you're doing right now, because there are, there are very few jobs in the world that aren't benefiting society. Like the, whatever you're doing, you're, you're managing people, like you're helping people. Your first step is to reevaluate the job that you currently have and begin to see it not as the thing you do for the paycheck, but how does my work benefit other people? Because in almost every scenario, you don't love every aspect of your job. Maybe you don't love all of the the values of the the board whatever it might be but in your like in your specific position what you're doing is helping other people you're providing customer support to someone you're you're leading a team of people you're developing a technology you're you're a dentist you're you're a landscaper you're you're driving truck like what you are doing is helping people almost certainly and when you can put your finger on, okay, I'm just, the, I'm a cashier at the grocery store. Well, what I do is I help the farmer get food from the field to this family's table. And I help that family give the money 
to the farmer so that he can support his family. Like, like begin to see that, that connection. And I, I think that you'll, you'll find a little more value in your, in your work. And that doesn't mean you have to keep doing your job for the rest of your life, but I, I wouldn't say hold off until you think you find your perfect dream job because there are no perfect dream jobs. Even roses have thorns. And some things that you're always going to have to be doing are stuff that you don't necessarily want to be doing. But I'd say don't don't hold your joy till till that moment. Find it find it today and and find the selfless nature uh, of the work that you're doing and how it benefits others. And then get up in the morning and go serve others through your work rather than just trying to get the paycheck to buy the stuff. I love that because it talks about what we can do today. And really, you know, I think there's a lot of times where people think, well, I'm going to get it in 10 years. I'm going to get it from 20 years. Then I'll be happy. It's up to us and our mindset that we go into each day for us to work on that happiness. And I know you talked about that, that it's not a magic switch. It's something that you're still practicing on a daily basis for somebody who's writing books about this and writing blogs about it. It's a daily practice. I liken it to gratitude where you go into each day and maybe you've got a negative mindset or something that's happened today and it feels, oh, this, bad, this day is horrible. But if we keep practicing gratitude, keep practicing what we do have in our lives, it becomes that much easier. Maybe not solved, but that much easier. Joshua, this book is fantastic. I've had a chance to enjoy my week listening to it on my walks. Tell people more about it and where they can get it. The new book is called Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life. I think when most people hear the book title, they think, oh good, because I need to put my phone away. And there is a chapter on technology and how the trivial becomes a distraction. But certainly, I would think based on this conversation, people realize it goes into much deeper topics than, than just putting the, the phone away. It questions the role that the possessions, uh, the, it, it questions the, the value that we put on possessions and money, fame, accolades, leisure. There's even chapters on fear and past mistakes and regret. And we did a nationwide study to kind of discover what some of these are. 77% of people say that they uh, spend time and resources on things that they're a distraction from things that actually matter in their life. And so I like to think the book applies to 77% of the population. So that would be wonderful. And it's available everywhere. It can certainly be found. Uh, certainly found. I just, I should have asked when you're going to air this because I, I do before we start, but um, I just saw someone just sent me a photo of a Barnes and Noble and Things That Matter was on the great gifts for grads table. I, I loved how that was kind of a new thing to me when the book came out and, and people started saying, hey, this would be a great book for 18-year-olds for to read. And I always say it's a great book for all of us to read. But you're right. It, it is a, a, great, a great book for, for anyone of any age. This episode is going to come around right around Independence Day. So, I mean, I talk about appropriate title for that right around that time frame. Absolutely. Joshua, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. As someone who can obviously be very distracted by money, this chat gave me a lot to think about. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Joshua Becker. Number one. Building wealth for the sake of building wealth won't necessarily make us happier. Joshua points out that after our basic needs are met and we're protecting ourselves from the unexpected, making more money and piling up more cash may not make us happier. If we can align our work and our time to the things that matter... 
that's when our happiness will increase. But the pursuit of more money and more wealth for the sake of more distracts us from what we're truly meant to do. Number two, try going with less. The story of Daniel Swalo is an extreme example for sure, but it did have me reflect for a moment about what we truly need. If a man can live without money in our country and still find purpose, meaning, and happiness, then we can all certainly go with less than we have right now. I've found that the more I adopt minimalism and minimalist ideals, the less stress I have in my life. Fewer things, fewer commitments, fewer obligations, for me, has equaled more time, more freedom, and more options. Number three, decide how much is enough. Ever since I left my job, I've been very goal-focused to earn as much as I used to with my old salary. Considering I'm paying myself $60,000 now and I used to make $180,000 in my career, that's a long way to go. But why do I need to do that? Right now, I'm working 20 to 25 hours per week, and I really like my life. I'm a present dad. I work on things that I really like, and I make decent money. So to triple my salary, I may need to triple my hours worked and potentially triple my stress. And I'm not willing to do that right now. I want to focus on my health, my family, and this marriage, kids, and money community. And I realize that more hours working, side hustling, etc. distracts from that mission. Everyone's situation is different for sure, but in this season of my life, I'm happy with enough right now. And that contentment is definitely a step in the right direction. And those are my top three takeaways, everybody. I would love to hear from you on what yours were. Please hit me up on social media at Marriage Kids and Money on Instagram and at Andy Hill MKM on Twitter and Facebook. Let's keep the conversation going. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific situation. A quick shout out to our friend Crystal Lee from Utah for joining us in our Big Tip Tuesday mission this year. She gave a $25 tip to the fast food worker that she visited recently and brightened up their day. Thank you so much for sharing this great news with us, Crystal Lee. Now, if you give generously to service workers in your area this holiday season, please let us know about it. Our goal is to hit $2,000 of total big tip giving this holiday season. So give generously and share your kindness with me so I can include your amount in our total. You can hit me up on social media at Marriage Kids and Money or just shoot me a note on email at team at marriagekidsandmoney.com or andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com, whichever way you want to reach out to me. Let's create some positive ripple effects of kindness and community this month, everybody. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from John Ford. Contentment gives a crown where fortune hath denied it. Here's to finding your enough, my friends. Carpe diem.